Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. In this show, I speak to people who are part of some of the most fascinating teams across the country in an effort to understand what makes them tick. I squeeze my guests for the lessons they've learned along their journey in an effort to bring the theory of team and leadership development to life. Our guest in this episode is Pat Howard. Most people know Pat from his career playing with the Australian Wallabies and the ACT Brumbies. And he is, of course, still in the public arena in his current role as the general manager of team performance for the Australian cricket team. But most know very little about the time he spent coaching the Leicester Tigers in the English Premier Rugby Comp, and few would know about his time as an executive in the corporate world. Pat is clearly a very switched on character with an enormous range of skills. He's learned a lot about what it takes to run a successful organization and he shares some fascinating stories about his journey in this episode. So sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Pat Howard. Pat, I'm fascinated to know when you got my request to talk about team and, and leadership and the things that you've learned, why did you say yes? Oh, look, I, I think to a certain extent there are interesting topics where you don't have to go down to the granular level to understand the theory of your, de- your decision-making at different times. And, and the theory of management versus the practice of management are often very, very different things. And, and under pressure you have to make decisions which have the most material effect. Sometimes you've got to bear with the short term, deal with the long term. And and they're fascinating topics where lots of people have got, um, I think, different small differences. But overall, I think people who do it well, and I'm not saying I do it well, but I'm just saying people under pressure making decisions share a lot of commonalities when they make those decisions. So, I, look, I, I think it's an interesting topic. People think it's mysterious. I don't know if it always is, but and I was very happy to... You know, I enjoy the topic. I, I really do. I think it's a, it's great to talk and lead and share um, both ways. And you find a lot of information from a lot of other people as well uh, on why they make decisions. You've had such an interesting career, starting off with your playing days as a professional rugby player, um, a coach, some time as a, the high performance director with Australian rugby. Then you went, you disappeared from the public scene and, and went off into the corporate world. And now your job here at Cricket Australia. How has your view or opinion or your view on the rewards of being part of a team changed since your early playing days? I think from a player's perspective, you are very individualised. Um, you, you know, you're interviewed and you're talking about how I can play better as part of a team and how can I contribute to the team and your knowledge of the, the, the larger stakeholders is, is one far more difficult to upset but two at the same stage your understanding, it's just about the playing. Um, as you progress, the complexity of decision-making becomes a lot harder and you suddenly have to deal with, well, are there media broadcasts or are there other uh, countries that you need to deal with or you're dealing with your domestic competitors or your international competitors and it becomes about the game. Um, so what's changed? Um, you know, the, people, the stuff that people are interested in is the winning on the ground. And you can never lose sight of that in many of the roles you deal with. You deal with the corporate sector and the corporate world. They look at the P&L. They, they judge it. And you've had a good year if you have growth of X and or you know EPS of Y or whatever else. Um, sports funding. You can have a terrible financial year, but you won. Woohoo! Everyone's uh, happy. Yeah, and you've got to understand, uh, but you've got to be sustainable as well. 
And that's where sport's interesting that I'm sure my boss, James Sutherland, um, yeah, he's the growth of the finance, the, the growth financially in the game has been staggering during during his time. But what's he measured on? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Enough. Wins on the field. Wins on the field. And um, so I think it's a uh, the drivers and levers and how success is measured depends on the industry and organisation you're in. Which is and, and keeping some clarity on that's really interesting. And and you've got to be able to judge whether it is. So your question was, how have I learned? From the playing days, I, I was purely about winning in those days. And it's interesting sometimes to go back to that. It's very, very important. So you talked earlier about the players, especially early in their career, everything they think about and talk about is their own performance. How then do you, especially in your role as a coach, convince them to play like a team, convince them to do things that might not be best for them personally but are best for the team itself? Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, the... It's really interesting to look now in hindsight. So those those guys, you know, I played the Brumbies. Uh, so I went from the Reds to the Brumbies in my early days, and it's very interesting to see where there was a very much a team mentality. You know, which was how do where a group of misfits and and leftovers, and and we were, and 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 with some very talented Canberra local players who ended up all playing 100 tests. Um, that, that might have been considered lucky, I guess, but these guys were known to be very, very good. Um, but they've all gone on to very successful, many of them to coach, and they thought about the game. Uh, they thought about how we could be competitive. Um, because there wasn't the history, we established history. So there was very much, and I think we got lucky because it was a clean slate, um, we could create our own history. And I think in the environment in the world we are today, You've got startups all over the place creating their own history, you know, rewriting the rules as they want to. They're agile and, and they don't let history or traditions slow them up from, from being um, competitive, I guess. So I think the Brumbies was an interesting insight, which did very quickly elevated thinking from how do I get in the team, how do I stay in the team, to how are we going to win? How are we going to inspire this local public so that Rugby Union, in this case, was going to be very popular in the region and actually sustainable in that region. And is that view at, at that level only possible when you feel secure in your place in the team? I, th I think it helps. You know, there, there is, you know, the, the theory talks about, you know, you go down the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and what sort of theory and stuff. So, um, look, I think you, you very much can sit there and go, am I secure in my position? Yes, but I think there's also elevated thinking. You, you get in the normal workplace that such and such is worried about losing their job. And the best way you can deal with that usually is go, well, I may lose my job. But there are two ways to act on that. One is to be able to go, well, I'm going to, if I'm going to lose it, I'm going to lose it doing it my way. And I'm going to have a go and I'm going to see if I can make a difference. At least if you if you fail, you it's you, you fail while having a go. Um, uh, it's, the old, it's a Theodore Roosevelt type thing, you know, <laughs> that, old, that old great speech, which is, you know, far while failing valiantly. The other way is they go, there's the protectionist mode. And go into your shell. You go into your shell and, and would you say better matters your politics around the office? And, and, and I think it's a very dangerous place to get into in that space because you are on the treadmill and you're, you're securing and you're worrying and you're, and, and you're not growing. And I think... To get yourself in that space is um, is a dangerous dangerous place for mine. I think people often 
You know, you see it all the time. They worry about getting fired. They worry about getting sacked. They worry, worry, worry. Then it happens. And three or four months later, they've got a new role and they feel refreshed and everything's fine. Yeah. And they're actually really happy and enjoying the change. And it's ended up being a very good thing for them. Um, and because they weren't probably happy in the first place. So there's a, there's a really interesting, um, if you can actually take yourself to the nth degree in some of that thinking, and the same happens in sport, players worry about getting dropped, worry about getting dropped, they worry about getting, they get dropped. Oh, now to play some freedom. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you see it so often that they worry, but where if they just went, well, think I think about getting me dropped, why don't I just relax? And yeah. I'm going to play with some freedom. Play Let's go to the now. next step. Yeah. So um, that thinking, whether in the office or in sport, being able to go, let's think through the worst case here and then that can, what would I do if the worst happened? Okay, great, and now let's move on. Um, it's, it's, it's being able to free your thinking in that regard. You talked about the early days of the Brumbies being a clean slate, able to write your own history. Rod McQueen was the coach in those days. What were his strengths as a coach? How was he able to shape that team dynamic? Rod was an outstanding manager, outstanding. So look, and... and yeah, with the amount of coaching that has now come out underneath, um, he had a lot of technical capability underneath him. And think of it as a CEO and you've got your technical specialists underneath. Um, he was fantastic. He'd throw some absolutely crazy ideas out there. And at the times where we were sitting there going, I don't, that can't work. But what it did is it created some fantastic innovative thinking, some fantastic conversations that tested the rest of us technically and said, right, that can't work, Rod, but what might work is if we tinker here, tinker there, tinker there. And I remember as a player, we're all sitting there going, wow, that's crazy, Rod. Fortunately, we're here to fix this up. In hindsight, 10, 15, 20 years later, you go, the sparks of ingenuity that he started were fantastic. And he deserves a lot of credit in that. He 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 was very good on, on the bigger picture and the stuff that were required. And he had players underneath him that were... Um, we were quite, you know, we all had a, usually a piece of paper that was, we, we couldn't be the best, we couldn't be the strongest, so we were the smartest. That yeah. was the recruitment sort of mentality we had. And um, So many of the guys that played for the Brumbies in that era have had really successful careers since their playing days uh, in business. Um, there's there's an, uh, at least one surgeon amongst them, um, uh, analysts on Fox Sports, um, your, yourself. Is it a chicken or the egg? Did they, were they drawn to the Brumbies because of, the, the kind of dynamic that was being built there or did their time at the Brumbies help them to become better people and smarter people and go on to do those really great things? Yeah, it's interesting and I know a few of the guys have written books at different times so I don't want to contradict any of what they've said but in, in my opinion and my memories of it is that, you know, we we, we got people who were smart, analytical. Mm -hmm. um, they, they wanted to figure out because we, you know, the other states had the best players. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they invariably, um, you know, they had the critical mass of population. Uh, they had some very talented World Cup winners on both the other side. So how, what was that going to be our point of difference? And we also had the fire in the belly. We wanted to show them that we were, were good. That was the right type of behaviour. So um, yeah, we had a lot of people that were wanted to do well. They were bright enough to figure it out and then trying to adjust and evolve over time. We had a really interesting period after I left where they kept evolving and ch took change and tacked again, which I thought was, you know, this is where Rod Cofant had a really good role during that process about taking innovation in a different space. So what do I believe? I believe we've got intelligent people in, 
in the hole. Yeah, not everybody. No, there's, there's, there was only one surgeon. Um, yeah, so Robbo as captain and, and fantastic leader. Um, and, and now a corporate CEO yes. as well. So, Incredible. Uh, and, and look, we've yeah, got father one of my kids. It, it's, you know, we're, we're all very, very close. Um, they're, they're great people. The blokes I got to play with the Brumbies were absolutely fantastic guys um, and many of them have gone on to be CEOs. You know, Owen Finnegan has been a CEO in several places. David Giffen's um, had a very uh, successful corporate career. Uh, you know, you just go through these guys um, who have all gone on to do that or coach. You know, there are, you know, Marco Caputo, Stephen Larkin, myself, Rod Kafer, uh, David Knox have all coached professionally, uh, Ewan McKenzie. <laughs> That's an even better example. Pretty good so, example. Yeah. So you've got these guys that all went on to coach, love their coaching. And uh, so I, it's interesting. I think the fact that Rod created an environment with the right people and he deserves a lot of accolades to the structures and people that he put in place because he could have easily said no and he could have al- always taken more control. And he didn't. He allowed the right amount of freedom and he deserves a lot of credit for that. And just to be clear for our listeners who might not be rugby people, the ACT Brumbies were formed uh, out of nothing in the early 90s uh, to give Australia a third franchise in the Super Rugby. Queensland New South Wales, of course, have played for over 100 years. So the Brumbies, the players who went to the Brumbies were seen as those who couldn't make the Queensland and New South Wales side. But then the Brumbies went on to have enormous success very quickly and are now statistically our most successful Super Rugby franchise. And that's why that story of of that that early era is so important. Now, your own career, I'm really interested to know, you played 20 test matches for Australia, which is 20 more than, than anyone else, 20 more than most people. Did you ever feel, though, as you were an incumbent, someone who was fixed in the Wallabies setup? Um, no, no, no. I was playing in a... Uh, in a in a position, so one, it was a very successful '90s in rugby internationally, very successful period. So, you know, my first test, um, Nick Far Jones was the halfback. You got David Campisi, um, uh, Horan, and and little outside me. These guys were you know, already World Cup winners, fantastic players against um, the All Blacks. Yeah, nice, nice all, introduction. Yeah, it was, and 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 you know, I, I think four of my first five tests were against the All Blacks, and um, you know, lucky enough, you know, the, I think a third test was the George Gregan tackle test, so um, which was great to sort of you know, after the first test wasn't wasn't a good good match, I didn't play well. You know, having that taste of success in in, in those early tests was was great, but no, I didn't particularly feel um, comfortable. Uh, at any stage, but I was 20. Yeah. <laughs> I was 19, I was 20, and my last test was when I was 23. Yeah. So, and then I moved overseas. So I think, um, you know, I, I was, I had a tendency, and I've, I've, you know, done this most of my career to be in a rush. Um, what were you in a rush for then to move uh, over to the rest of time? A new opportunity, uh, try something different. You know, I, I, I've always loved the idea of rugby being able to play overseas. I love international sports still today. The effect, the, the ability to test yourself internationally is something that I value to be the best around the world type thinking. And not me personally, but that, that that's the my allure to international sport is that you go, there's a, a lot of people out there, a lot of sport, and um, and, and on an international stage to compete is, is a 
is a wonderful thing. So I, I do enjoy that. And I, I lived in England for a long time, lived in France, played there. But I didn't have a tendency anymore to stay more than three years pretty much no matter where I was during that period. Including, your, you know, the time that you had, the window you had as, as a Wallaby. When you left to play for Leicester in 1998, did you feel as though you were closing the door on your Wallaby career early? No, look, I, I always envisaged I'd come back. Mm-hmm. And I did. And you did. And yeah. I did. And I came back. So I um, I returned in 2001. We just won the European Cup. I was player coach at that stage, so that was 26. Um, and uh, the opportunity to come back, play in Australia, it, it, I felt as though I'd, I'd had a really great time in England. And, and you know, we'd won you know, all the things that you could win at that stage. So it was just a, a fantastic – and I've got great friends from that time – and I, I do look back on that, and you can regret going early and that sort of thing, but the friends I made during that process are still my friends today. And funnily enough, that opportunity then led me to being a head coach of that organisation and then director of rugby that organisation years later. So you can't really regret those decisions. Right. Because it turned out well. It turned out well. Yeah. So, um, you know, would I may have missed out on playing 10 more tests? Maybe. I don't know. But um, as you said... One test, two tests, ten tests, twenty tests. You know, I get on really well with all the guys I played with. I got to play most countries. I got to beat most countries. Lost to them as well. Um, so you, you've had all those great experiences. And um, and, uh, and Joe Roth often says um, about me, I'm a collector of experiences. And um, so I have a tendency to try and take a, a fair few things in. Is my general life mantra more than anything else. So as you said, you, you played with the Leicester Tigers, uh, backs coach, then back to the Brumbies to try and make the World Cup squad for 2003. Mm. Then you went back to coach Leicester as a backs coach and then the head coach. Tell us a little bit about the cognitive leap you needed to make um, moving from a player to, to being a, a coach at the same club with some of the same players that you'd played with. Yeah, fantastic. And I was lucky enough, so I was... Um, head coach, so to, being an assistant coach and um, to, a, to a reasonable extent is, is not a huge leap. It's not a huge right. leap. Um, from being a player. From being a player. You are a technical expert. You get to give a lot of nice messages. You're pumping a few people's tyres up a lot of the time. You are very. You can be very positive. All the easy things about leadership. The, 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 it is to a certain extent, um, and that's. I'm not trying to uh, belittle people who are very good technical experts, but um, there is a, then a big, big step. It's a big step. Tell us about that step. So you, you become head coach. There is nowhere to hide. You make the decision, and you are accountable for the decision. You're accountable for every word you say. And more than in most other professions, a head coach, when you sit a player down and go, you missed out, or get yourself ready, you're off contract, you're four kids, I don't know where your next job is, but you need to start looking. These lessons are uh, the lessons I learned as a, effectively a director of rugby or head coach, you know, dealing with contractors, dealing with agents, were as good as any degree MBA that I've done. I'm not belittling the MBA either, but the practical experience of having to go look someone in the eye and go, I'm sorry, you're gone because we need to win and or I can't afford you or doing those sort of conversations at 30 and making plenty of mistakes was uh, one of the most valuable 
uh, business lessons I ever had. Tell us about what prepares you for having a conversation with an aging player who, as you say, has got four kids, he wants another couple of years contract. What prepared you for that conversation? You learn You learn from every uh, coach you went through. And Greg Smith, um, as a uh, head coach in Australia in the mid-90s, there, there, there are people that criticise his reign. And, and don't get me wrong, like everybody, there were things he could have done better and things he... he um, he was good at. So Greg had an enormously successful time as a provincial coach and, and came in with much fanfare to the Australian side but didn't fulfil some people's expectations. Yeah, and look, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, we, we now know that he, he had probably some medical issues, you know, that eventually you know, um, he passed away with cancer and, and um, you know, they may have been there during that time, it, it is quite possible. And I think one of the more interesting things, um, he did a really good thing in management where, and I, I took this for a while, uh, I don't do it all the time, but he actually used to, when he picked and dropped people, he brought them in together. And Interesting. Um, so you're dropped, but you're in the side. You're dropped and you're in the side. Wow. And and what I, there are a couple of things that it did, and I, I used it when I first came in because I wanted to make myself accountable to what I was going to say. It automatically gave me a witness <laughs> uh, to a lot of the conversation, but it was a, a very powerful one where I go, look, I, I can't bullshit here. I've, I've got to be absolutely, I'm sorry, mate, you're out because of A, B and C. You now know why he is out. You've been picked because of A and B. If you do those well, you'll have an opportunity if he doesn't perform what I've asked him to perform. Sorry you're out. I'm sorry, you know, congratulations you're in. Now, he wasn't there pumping his tyres up. He wasn't there throwing his toys out of the pram. There was a calm conversation. They understood. I'd had to think about what I was going to say. I couldn't just throw a, put a throwaway line out there that was not fair or reasonable. Or occasionally you'd say, look, I just think at this point he's playing better. That's my call and I'm accountable for it. I'm really sorry. And sometimes you had to say that. And at least you're accountable to your conversation. So um, something I, I took off uh, Greg, and the guy I learned off lots of coaches, um, and they all had different styles about them, but one of those ones was about being being fair to the guy that was dropped because I was dropped many times. I was going to ask you, tell me about your most memorable experience of being dropped, the conversation. A uh, really good one. Uh, first test, so I got dropped um, by Bob Dwyer. And Bob's fantastic. <laughs> and, and and Bob goes to me, look, uh, I think, you know, I think one day you, you're going to be a great player. But at some stage you've got to effing play great. And, <laughs> and I'm at 19. <laughs> to be a great player. Uh, and, and it was, look, it, it was just he expected more. That's what he was saying. And you know what? He was right. Yeah. And uh, at the time you're always, you never like hearing those tough messages. But, and I think sport prepares you for those tough messages. It, 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 allows, it allows you to go, um, a lot of people, you know, I, I saw in a corporate setting recently someone that got moved sideways and, and they've been the organiser and they said, I've never been moved sideways. I'm like, my God, I've been dropped. <laughs> dropped, sacked, moved on um, so many times. How do you as a player have a relationship with the other guys in the squad who are now in your spot? Uh, look, I, you know, I remember having a chat with Matt Kidder and Matt uh, was playing brilliantly as, as his career progressed. He was, uh, obviously became a, a fantastic, great player. But at the time, you sit there and go, 
God, you know, and you're really frustrated because you're a competitor. Mm. You, you know, these guys, we're all competitors. Um, and uh, look, I was, I was filthy as, as, you, as you do. And because um, you want to be in the day. That's, I, I believe that's the right, absolutely, the right position. You want it to mean something. Was that filth ever targeted towards the guy who was now wearing your no, jersey? No, and look, I remember, I remember saying to Matt, look, well, I'm really sorry that I'm, I'm, I'm angry at the moment. It's not at you. You're a really good player. Um, and we ended up playing in his first or second year a fair bit of uh, rugby together. Mm-hmm. And Because um, you and he were both that kind of fly half inside centre. Yeah, and look, let's be fair, he was a lot better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very comfortable <laughs> with that statement. Um, but I... Uh, you you know, were older and more experienced at that point in his yeah, career. Yeah, so I, I think I'm probably eight years older than him. So mm-hmm. I was on my way out. He was on the way in. And, um, and uh, you know, I was like... Injuries all over the place. So it was the right decision. Get rid of me. I, I, I <laughs> Are we talking Brumbies or Wallabies? Uh, this is Brumbies at this stage. Right. So um, yeah, when I came back. So he. Um, but there were there were lots of you know, lots of players around at that stage, which were was really competitive. That's sport. Yeah, yep. it's fifteen spots. Yeah, you got you got to keep up there. And this is where you you look at those people who played a hundred tests and you go, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. just fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, so I think uh, you deal with disappointment and you dust yourself off and you kick the cat or you kick the garbage bin and you go, right, I'm back out there. Let's go again. You gave us a really clear example of something that you'd learned from Greg Smith just a few minutes ago. Tell us some of the other standout le- lessons you learned from some of the coaches you played with that you took with you into your own coaching career. Oh, look, they all had um, some real strengths, um, Dean Richards, uh, who I dealt with uh, at Leicester, was a uh, he was a good man manager. Had kept kept his distance and actually managed his staff very very well. Uh, Rob McQueen was outstanding at that. His organisational structures, he, he he looked out a lot. He was um, he really tested the boundaries. I thought he he created innovative in learning environments and he did that really really well. You know, Eddie Jones uh, had a huge work ethic and. He was extremely detailed and gave structure to people that needed structure. And then, so by taking all those lessons, sometimes you need to tailor, well, for those that want innovation, create a cycle and a process that you've got to give people their wins to feel as though you're listening and, and to see where that innovation might go. Because it actually may be great. Because no one remembers the seven failures. They remember the three wins and the three things that did come off. And, and so I think... Um, Having an innovative environment is very good, but some people also love clear direction and structure. Yeah. And and, uh, and I think all people need that certain amount of direction. Um, what are we trying to achieve? What's my goal? What's my role? How does that relate to me? Um, you have to individualise that and give a collective purpose. Um, you know, trying to take the best lessons from these, these people at different times is important. And that's just in a sporting context. Um, you know, I think yeah, Darren Lehman deals with, with people very, very well. He, he The one-on-one um, emotional connection is, is, a, is a really strong asset of his. You know, James Sutherland is a, is a CEO that's been, you know, Cricket Australia for you know, the best part of 15 years. That's, um, you know, his management of stakeholders is, is absolutely outstanding. So you, you get to see all these people and their strengths and weaknesses over time. So what are the Pat Howard's strengths that someone who's worked with you maybe as one of your assistants would be talking about what they took from their time with you? 
Yeah, I don't know sometimes. Um, look, I, I well, I probably do. Um, well, tell, tell us. Don't be, <laughs> don't be bashful. Uh, no, look, I, 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 I do. I make decisions. Yep. And um, I don't fear making decisions. And they, they've been known to be unpopular at mm-hmm. times. Um, and you have to bear with that, manage the stakeholders during that time. But I do, I do make them. I don't sit on my hands. I don't always have to have 100% of the information to do it um, because sometimes going back, it's worth a shot. It's the problem McQueen, it's worth a shot, taking all those different leaders. Um, so I think I do do that. I try and bring as many people as close together as possible with enough processes that is possible um, to give people comfort in, in direction with whilst having flexibility. Uh, I still think it can't be an automated process. Good people, good people reporting to you is important. Believe, believing in them, trusting them, I think that's that's particularly strong as well. So, um, yeah, I don't like getting too introverted with the thinking, but as the collective, I don't stray away from winning. And you get, and that might sound a really easy thing in a podcast, which is, but you know, usually sitting in a business, well, well, government want this, or. Um, our media partners want this, or our sponsors want this, or our fans want that, or game development wants this. Um, and you've got all these significant levers. We talked about complexity of decision-making. And, you know, to do tomorrow is the most important. Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. And trying to have the clarity of what is really important is sometimes a very difficult thing and something that I, I think, um, you know, I think... I can I can deal with at different times, and and even if it means going through pain to do it sometimes. Tell us about that period of your life, um, your professional life between two thousand and seven, leaving the Leicester Tigers, and uh, two thousand and eleven when you took on your current role with Cricket Australia. What did you get up to in those few years? Yeah, it's it, it's really interesting that it. it um, I often get asked, "What was it like going from rugby to cricket?" Well, I never went from rugby to cricket, um, so I I, I left. Um, the funny story is that I. Uh, I missed the birth of my fourth kid and um, I was away. That would have been popular at home. Yeah, well, she, I, my wife wrote the letter um, for me to resign, I think, from the hospital bed. <laughs> um, so that, uh, John O'Neill was fantastic over that period. He was, he was really good and he said, look, I understand that, it's okay. Um, it, was, it was going to be a Brisbane-based role. It didn't end up being a Brisbane-based role and I moved my family all over the world. It was time to um, stay in Brisbane and that was the major all, thing, all other things could be dealt with, but not that. So we had four kids under four and a half, and I was looking for a Brisbane-based role. So I, as a, as a pharmacist, I, um, I, I've been involved with um, pharmacies and dealing with property and legal and and leases, and and there was an opportunity came up um, to apply for a chief of operations at a property and funds management group. So I understood performance, I understood my way around running a business, and obviously uh, property relies on the, you know people making sure they've got sustainable businesses to to lease and, and and actually have the commercial acumen. So whilst it was a very steep learning curve, um, I was responsible for property services, IT admin, um, uh, you know the operations of the very a very inward looking role. Um, then uh, yeah, it, it was a, a very interesting insight to what I was um, to something I'd done before. So, so what new insights into leadership did you get in the corporate setting that you hadn't got in a rugby setting? Yeah, look, people talk about you know they try and apply sport to business a lot. They love doing that. They do, and. Um, 
you need to be able to, so I, I, I sort of cascade this down. If we're taking a beachhead in the army, I'll tell you what, it's not hard to, you know, creating a team, we're all united. <laughs> we're very united. That, that is ultimate team. I think sport, we then go down to in daylight, down to sport um, where we need to win. We're, we're collectively trying to win. Um, when you're sitting there in a corporate sense and going, we are going to earn X amount of cents per share, and that's what we're going to achieve this year, and that's our goal, and we're going to get get off the shareholders. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? It doesn't necessarily have. So so you, so you people that do it well you, unite for a common cause. I, you know, I, and we talk about the great, you know, the great it is, you know, Apple, you know, changing how we, change, you know, grab your iPhone, changing how we work, you know, that's. Putting you know, a dent in the universe. Yeah, big, big picture stuff. Yeah. I think the corporates that do that well have done an amazing job because they, 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 there's a raising the truth. They're, they're sitting there going, how are we going to come together, bring this, what are we doing here? So I think, um, you know, if you can't achieve that collective, then it unfortunately becomes, you see this, you know, um, in a lot of organisations, well, how much can I earn? What's my bonus? I get my bonus plus my base, bang, off I go, and it becomes about the individual. Yeah. But at the same time, we're told we're in a team, but every one of our rewards is an individual one. Individual one. And and if if you can't find that common collective of what you're doing, then um, it becomes, uh, it is individualised. And, it, and, and look, in some places, you know, that's right. Yeah. Um, look, I, I remember dealing with uh, looking at some entities, and, and some entities, you know, you You've got two billion dollars worth of assets. The the people might be only fifty or sixty to run that, and you know they actually might be a very small part of what the business is. You know, um, so I think you know people love applying. It's not that simple because you need a common goal, and the common goal needs to be real. It, it needs yeah. to mean something because I think I think most people go if it doesn't resonate with them, don't try and yeah, don't try and push it. You raise such an interesting point because it is tempting to use sporting analogies in a, in a corporate setting. But in a corporate setting, it, the, the win is not as clear as it is for the Australian cricket team or for the Brumbies. You know, to, the, the win is the next game or the season. Whereas in a corporate setting, that can be such a complicated question as what it is that we're, we're trying to win. And uh, as you say, you make the very good point at the heart of uniting a team is giving them a common purpose. So um, let's fast forward to 2011. You got the job with Cricket Australia. Why did you get the job? It was a hot field. Yes, yes, supposedly. Um, obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, it's obviously one for the panel, but I can tell you what I said. And, um, and look, I went through psych tests upon psych tests and presentation upon presentation and... I I knew what I was getting myself in for. Um, I remember sitting there with my wife and saying, are you sure? Are you sure it's okay? Because I knew what I was getting myself in for. And what's that? Well, well the, the difference for, you know, I, I look at government, I look at sport. And um, uh, so you work in the corporate sector, you didn't even know. You couldn't find that I worked in the corporate sector for three and a half years. But I, was a, I was a C-suite. In theory, that's... High profile. High profile. It doesn't even make the cut. Yeah. Um, and two people talk about reputation. You know, you know that they when you work in the corporate sector, you fight to get colleges. 
Yeah, we we fight to solve it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite the difference there. We actually we actually sometimes want to go. We just want a little bit of time to get this decision right. Yeah, <laughs> um, before it leaks and goes and gets away from us. Yeah, um, before uh, the sky is falling type um, situation. So, um, so I was aware. Of that. I, I, I was right. This this has suddenly gone from you can have long term planning to be going. You can have a long term plan, but you've also got to deal with the short term. And trying to go back and forth between these two always is important. So, look, I, I in the interview, that I think, you know, I said, look, the captain of Australia will will report to this position. The coach of Australia will report to this position. The national selector will report to this position. So, if you want a cricketer, great. But my guess is all three of those people are going to be experts in cricket. So, if you want someone else that's an expert in cricket, completely understand. And it's such a tempting, natural way to go, though, isn't it? Mm. So, and look, I'm I'm not sure, but that's that's why I addressed that up front because I said, look, let's not waste anyone's time. If you want a cricketer, I'm not your man. Yeah, <laughs> that was, and that was, I would not have been offended at all. And, I, and, and James knows that. And um, look, I commend him. I I commend the board. I could have, you know, that was a brave decision. But, but, but why was the decision made? What was it about you that they wanted? I don't, I, look, I don't know. They did a lot of homework on me, not only what I presented on, but I, I know I've heard since there were lots of questions asked um, around, um, around I guess, my personality, my trait, whether I actually follow through on what I say I can do. And I think my reputation was that hell or high water, I, I do, uh, reasonably resilient. So I think uh, that was a trait that I think... Um, they heard a fair bit in doing their homework on me. I, they, they did a lot of homework on me. I've only found that out since, obviously. Uh, I'm not the one that I didn't get to sit in there when they're making the decision. I wasn't across all the machinations. And I, to be honest, I haven't asked uh, that much. I've heard. but um, So I've never really sat down and go, why the hell did you make that decision? Um, but, but to understand why they picked you mm. would have given you the momentum to come into the job and, and act on those behaviours that were the reason you got picked in the first place. Well... To a certain extent, or, or I think in these positions where if they if they've if they said you've got the job, you go right. Eh? Well, I'll do it my way. I'm going to do it my way because I'm going to be judged on it. Yeah, and that is it is my look. And we talked about that earlier. Making the decision if you're going to fail, fail your way. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, you've got to take everybody along in the journey for you as much as you can, and still whilst listening to every consideration, be able to then take it in a direction that still ends up at the common goal. Um, so I think that's a, um, it's a, it's a uh, whilst understanding it, I, I probably, was two years before I even asked anybody, who else missed out? Where did, you know, why did, where was the decision-making process? I never asked why, but I understand, you know, what, you know, what was, what were the key determinants and, um, to be honest, I just, I just get on, got on with it. Got on with it. <laughs> so you did come into the job with a little bit of criticism from, as it turns out, former and current players, cricket people, who said this guy is not a cricketer, he's not from the cricket family. What did they not know? People who voiced those criticisms, what do you wish they had have known? Oh, look, well, my view is that they, and I knew a few, few of the guys. I was two years behind Matt Hayden at school. I knew Matt. Uh, I knew Mark Casperitz reasonably well, Australian schoolboy rugby player. So I, I knew I knew a couple of these guys and, and come across them at the time. And 
So I was reasonably managing those that I knew and going, look, where are the gaps here? Tell me. And I remember one of my very early conversations sitting down and going, well, I don't know. Everyone keeps telling me I don't know the basics. Sit down and tell me the basics. Right. Right. And one of the great conversations, I sat down two legends and um, those two legends over three hours couldn't agree on the basics. <laughs> so, so, so I said, well, you guys have that debate. And I'll, I'll, um, and it was one of the things we actually, over time, we've actually focused on. It's not in the core business, but actually getting down on paper what we, how we want to deal with coaching in cricket, getting the basics down right. and keeping it very simple. That's so interesting that those two couldn't agree. And, and it, was, it was just wonderful. And, um, yeah. and I said, well, if I, you know, if you have another cricket person here, they're just going to join that debate. Yeah. Another fight. I've got, I look at performance and I look at, I try to keep it to the numbers and I don't get involved in the technical debate. I value it and if it was rugby, I would, but it's not my technical expertise. But I can make people accountable to, well, such and such has scored X and why. Why are you, why are you going with these other people that haven't done it? And they have often got a reason. Some of those early critics, have you turned them around? Oh, there are some people I'm, I'm never going to turn around. And that's okay. They, uh, it's probably not worth the, the effort, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of your- Their mind is made up. The, 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 yeah, and I'm written off and, and no matter what happens, that's that's fine. You know, I'm accountable for effectively all professional cricket, men's, women's, um, uh, anything from the juniors as well, 15s, 16s, 19s, you know, some of the proudest things that aren't even in the public eye that mm-hmm. I'm, you know, we've got a relationship with Skill Sports Australia now and it's a leader in underage carnivals and there's carnival right now in Darwin being played but we're such a massive influence. This sort of thing I'm, I, I'm really proud of, which never really will see the light. But um, I, I think those other, um, yeah, you're going to have critics. You can't you can't keep them all happy. I, I steer away from um, uh, the papers because... Uh, you, you do hear it. Someone, you, you'll get a phone call. Oh, have you read you, this? Have you, did you hear what such and such said about you? I went, no. Do I need to read it? No. Okay. Well, that's great. Right. So you, you know when you know when the mood is, is negative, right? Um, but look, you can't you can't worry about these things too much because it does sway your thinking. You've got to be able to keep going with all the noise, and there is always a lot of noise in sport more than corporate. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of noise, opinions and... Tell us about the Mickey Arthur era. What went wrong from a leadership point of view? So um, to start off, Mick, Mickey's a lovely bloke and was he- very successful in his period in South Africa. So um, if I have the time again, knew all the candidates that interviewed, you know, I, I spoke to Darren about... You know, I wasn't even in the Cricket Australia role. I'd been, I said I was going to do it, but I hadn't started. I said, well, wait, can you... We'd li- I'd like you to join this process, da, 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 for example. No, and, and several other coaches did that at that time. But, you know, Mickey was the number one on the interview panel. Steve Rickson was number two, and they both went in. Started very well. We won four tests against India, straight off. Um, really well, good series. Discovered a few new bowlers because we, we, we were struggling to get 20 wickets. It was a very simple flock. Let's open up the doors a little bit, you know, We've heard there's this kid called Stark and there's this kid called Pattinson and there's this kid called Cummins and Troy Cooley said there's a kid called Hazelwood. Took a lot longer to get him in, but you know, we had a lot of talent that had been sitting there ready to cut and these guys were young and the advice was that, you know, to a certain extent they were very young and they were going to get injured. The young bowlers get injured. So, Mickey, uh, I think... 
you know, Mick, culturally there was, um, I won't use the word cultural, that's, that's probably not fair. Um, look, and by that you're talking about the, 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 you're trying to avoid making judgment on whether the fact he was South African played a role. Is, yeah. is that true? Yeah, and that's right. And that's not fair either. Mm. He, he, he was in Western Australia. He got used to that. But he, he wanted to deal with it a different, a certain way. Um, and then the complexity of cricket is you've got a coach and you've got a captain and you've got a national selector and all those things. Um, and we, we ran the lovely processes for the coach and the selector. And, you know, those things were all done exactly in a lovely corporate way. Mm. Beautiful corporate way. Problem is with corporate processes is that when it doesn't go well, no one cares about the process. No one cares. Um, and in the end, you've got to run your process to get the outcome that you'll be judged on. Now, Darren's a very good leader of men, good coach. Brings that collective together. He buy. He also is very good in supporting the system. You know, I know. I know. There's the there's the the relaxed attitude, but he's a very dedicated organised, structured coach. He, you know, he deals with the sports science guys, he deals with the selectors, he deals with the corporates. He, he can deal with all sides of that, does it very, very well. And and to be honest, you know, we've had the same, we've had some good coaches in the women's program as well as they've come through. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud of both those collectives and even the stuff coming underneath with, with Greg Chapel and the youth youth development. So, once again, good people. Very good. So, Darren... Um, Darren is is very good and deserves every accolade he gets. He's um, you know he's very successful in Queensland, and I hope that you know the elevated role he because when you're coaching in state, you get more time to develop. Mm-hmm. You see them every week. They yeah. come in, they come out. If you're coaching Geelong, if you're coaching uh, Melbourne Storm, and I had this conversation with Craig Bellamy one day. Imagine what how you would coach your team differently if two things. One is you only get to your team two days before they come together which is, you know, when the one-day team comes together, you send two days and bang. So we had to improve the whole of the national system yeah. because we wanted to make sure whoever was coming was fit, not injured, great mindset, skills are ready to go because you weren't going to be able to get the gains right there and then. So it's a very different coaching to stay. It's, it's a bit like the conversation I had in the last episode with Steve Hooper who was talking about Mal Meninga's genius at operating at the origin level because you get them for such a short period of time. But you're getting the best and that's part of the advantage. You're getting the guys who know why they've been picked and, and their purpose is very obvious. It's not very difficult to motivate an Australian cricket team or a, a Queensland State of Origin team. There's a, there's a built-in kind of a purpose there. Both your father and your, your mother's father, your maternal grandfather, were wallabies. Were you predestined to be a Wallaby? Did you always feel that way playing up with a little bit of talent for rugby? Um, so I reckon about when I was a nine or ten years old, yep, I thought I was going to play for Australia. Like every nine or ten-year-old. Exactly. Uh, I, I, I actually, I remember, funnily enough, I, was, I thought I was going to play cricket for Australia like every nine or ten-year-old as well. I, 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 Sam Loxton, who was in the 48 test team, the Invincibles um, uh, cricket, he uh, came down and gave me a leg-spinning session when I was 12 and I, you know, I'm going so you had a bit of a talent as, as a cricketer as well? No, no, no. No? <laughs> no, no, no. I loved cricket. Right. And this is a bit that, that we talked about it earlier. People that out, you know, the, the cricketers don't get that Australians love cricket. Mm-hmm. They love cricket. It's our national sport. The it's only a, national sport, really. Yeah. My, my uncle was an opening bowling with Mike Whitney at Randwick. You know, I, I loved cricket. I, he was my mother's youngest brother and died when he was sort of in his early 30s. Um, and uh, Mike Whitney actually dedicated his book to, you know, there's a line to it. 
So I, I've always loved cricket. I didn't have any talent for cricket. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so my, when I was young, I had a genuine belief that, yeah, I, I, I was good. Uh, when I was in year 11, I was playing in the fifths in rugby. Really? So I was, I'm amazed to hear that. Um, I was small. I... And during the year, I eventually got up to the thirds. This so, is at Maris Dashgrave. It is. So, so in my, uh, you know, Dan Herbert was the star of my year at school um, and absolutely fantastic player. Herbie's a great friend of mine. Um, and we were the 5'8 inside centre for the first 15. And the fullback, Richard Graham, who's the coach at, so we're Graham Bond, who ended up playing Australian Test Team as well. So that's all star. First 15 side. Fantastic. We didn't win. Um, <laughs> Who and, won that year? Uh, Brendan Cannon's St. Lawrence's team. Really? So look at the, and it's all so. It's a good era. Yeah, it was it, fantastic. And, um, you know, Eelsey was three years above us at school, two years above with Matt Hayden. You, you just, you know, there was this belief because you, you these people you saw were quickly progressing, which is just something that inspires you, let alone. So um, uh, my grandfather passed away when I was 12. He was a... Um, Disciplinarian, he he um, old school, hard taskmaster. But they credit with him with uh, you know inventing running, running running rugby for want of a better term. My father was one of the assistant coaches when Australia won the World Cup in '91. I was probably more destined to be a coach than destined to be a player. Right, would be my view. But it must be so much easier for you to have dreamed about playing for the Wallabies, being surrounded by Wallabies at, at the dinner table, um, than it is for, for a normal kid who, who doesn't know any Wallabies for whom that life seems so far away. Yeah, it, it's interesting, this one. And, and um, I think uh, Sam Carter with his father, David Carter, uh, the next father-son combination after after me. So that, um, which surprised me. I thought there would have been someone. There's a lot more in cricket. Yeah, well, well the Marsh boys come through or mm. the Hadley boys out of um, out of New Zealand or, you know, there's some lovely combinations there, mm. you know, broads in England. Um, I think, and it's always interesting to watch people's progression, and I do a lot of work of this in cricket, when do they debut, when do they, what have they done, first class, first grade level and all this. So I have done a lot of that analysis to break a lot of trends and myths. So um, I've got two brothers. They're, they're, they're um, turned 30 last week. And I'd imagine that they're really good and grounded. They're, they're good players, both bigger than me, physically bigger, like my father, like a you know tight head prop. They're big men, skillful, all that sort of stuff. But they didn't get the opportunity. So I've got dad's mates who have got sons who are my mates. So their fathers are wallabies. And so I understand that comes with that little bit of pressure, a little bit of expectation. But you, you get over that pretty quick. You know, you you know you're in the midst of it, and you get picked for Australia. And, or you get picked for your state or whatever else, and suddenly you go, uh, oh, that, that's right. I'm, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm extremely proud of my, of all things, of, of my rugby career, I'm proudest that my father and grandfather played for Australia and I got to do it. And um, on my 40th birthday, uh, mum and dad brought in a program, three programs, and framed them. Grandfather, father, me. And um, that was something that was um, very special. Very special. Mm. So what's the future for you professionally? What's your dream job? And you can't say this one. No, 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 no. I, I, I always, and I remember when I did the interview, I think I think these roles have timelines. I think they have a life. How do you um, know when that life is over? Uh, that's that's a great question. I, and I've had a tendency to leave early. Mm. 
always. And uh, so um, this is probably now the longest I've been in a role. And you just signed until 17. Yeah, just till 17. Mm. And um, and I think um, depending on what the environment's like, you know, that will be, I'd find it, I think that will be the right time. Mm-hmm. There is a tour to India in 2017. We're not great in subcontinent conditions. Mm-hmm. And we have 2016 in Sri Lanka. We have tour to Bangladesh this year. We have Australia, Radio India. As you can hear, there is a plan. Yep. Um, so I think I would also like to bed down what I've started because it's not something I've always done well. I've usually come in, change up, change agent, and, and move on. Um, and that's probably the challenge I've accepted, which is the stuff that I won't be judged on. I won't be judged publicly on the stuff that I'm going to try and do the next two years. It will be all the pathway work underneath coaching improvement, coaching education. But um, it will be known and appreciated internally. Yeah, hopefully. You know, but that's the goal. That's um, and, and to make but publicly for people to understand the cricket is the same, that it's got its act together. It's it, there is a pathway there. And it's a really great opportunity. And to be a professional cricketer, you know, AFL or a rugby league talk about, well you can play for the Roosters or play for Geelong. You know. Well, in cricket, you can play for you know, 150 contracted players, and you can play not only in Australia but all over the world. Yeah, cricket's got the same story. Yeah, the same story, and you can play for a lot longer. You know, yeah. Brad Hogg's running around at 45. Yeah. So, so where to for you after that? So I, I don't know. My guess is that I'd probably go corporate again. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd leave sport. Yeah, would be my tendency. I uh, don't know which of the disciplines that I've worked in previously that I would try and go back into. Uh, be it health with my pharmacy background, be it um, property, um, even funds management from that side. So I'd be very comfortable. I've had a fairly diverse background uh, and I'd be very comfortable in all those environments and particularly the listed space. I like the measurability of the listed space, the accountability of the listed space. So that's probably the next step, but I've got a couple more years before we step down that road. Four quick questions. Your PA is hunting you. Tell us about the... uh, (laughs) Just to, to get to know Pat Howard, the inherent man, tell us about the Saturday night you most look forward to. Dinner with a small number of close friends or a party with lots of people you know? First one. Are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail or caught daydreaming? Uh, oh, jeez, I don't know I do either of those. No, I, do, I don't get bogged down in the detail, but I don't usually, um, I don't daydream. I I go at a reasonably frenetic pace, which sometimes is too quick. Number three, are you a slave to rational thought process or do you make decision with your emotion? I take enough information, in my view, to make a decision. I don't need all the facts, um, but I do need, I need to be able to have a reason. Uh, I don't need a hundred reasons. And last question, you're going on a road trip. You like to plan ahead, map out the route, book the hotels, or do you just get in the car and go? I love to go in the car and go. Good man. Pat Howard, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Team Guru Podcast, a conversation with Pat Howard. I'd like to thank Pat for giving me so much of his time in what is clearly a very busy schedule. I hope the experience of listening to Pat talk about the lessons he's learned through professional rugby, coaching, the corporate sector and his current role with Cricket Australia was as insightful for you as it was for me. Just as I did for the last episode, I'll provide a summary of what I took away from this on the Lessons Learned page from the podcast. Just go to teams.guru, that's teams with an S, dot guru, forward slash podcast. 
And keep an eye out on the Team Guru website for the next episode, where again, I'll be putting a top-level performer under the microscope in the search for insights and wisdom that will help you along your leadership journey. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.